Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, and from struggle to success, we're covering it all. To our returning listeners who have heard me read that intro a bunch of times now, thank you so much for supporting the show, for sending me your feedback. I love hearing from you. And to all the new listeners, welcome. I hope you enjoy, and I hope you'll come back. Today's guest is someone I'm very excited to introduce. Dr. Jacqueline Thomas is the founder and CEO of Kids and Technology, the curriculum developer of the Beauty of STEM series, or BOSS for short, and I love I love when an acronym is good, and the founder of Girls Pursuing Science, or GPS for short, which I also think is a really good and science-y type of acronym. Uh, Jacqueline, you have an illustrious career working with kids, empowering the youth, and making technology a cornerstone of all of this, and so I would just love to hear more about what you do and how it overlaps with gaming. Yeah, so we do enrichment. We do STEM and STEAM enrichment. And as you know, and for those who may not know, be familiar with the educational term, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math, and STEAM is science, technology, engineering, art, and math. So we do enrichment education because, as you may also know, uh, STEM classes like engineering, your advanced technologies are not offered in our public school system, not even in some of the private school systems, especially engineering. Uh, it's just one of those things that are not offered. So we take those um, those courses and content and put it together and we do summer camps. We do after school programs. Uh, we do um, STEM Saturday programs to where we include, um, we, we work with K through 12 students in various different programs. Of course, it's all age appropriate. And it's funny thing too, I must add about STEM is it's not so much age appropriate as it is skill appropriate because there I can't count the many first and second and third graders that I have that are more advanced than a fifth grader or a sixth grader. And, you know, the only reason I can think of that is, is because really the, the first and second graders have been exposed to it all of their lives. Where if you think uh -huh. about a, a senior in high school now, a junior in high school now, if you think 10 or 12 years ago, was not that exposed to the technology that we have today. I so, know my two-year-old nephew <laughs> FaceTimes me on his own. I'm like, you can't even speak English yet. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. He was born with it even before he got here. His mom probably was uh, you know, <laughs> engaged in technology somehow. So it, it's more skill um, appropriate, probably more so than age appropriate. But where it overlaps with gaming, we work with a lot of um, uh, urban school districts, large school districts, um, sometimes failing school districts where they may be needing help really around the middle school, early approaching middle school, fifth grade, upper elementary in reading, math and science. So what we do is what we do best is take those courses and make them into project based learning. So especially with the reading and the, the, the um, grammar content to where we have girls to come in or students to come in and develop content, develop content around gaming. So we're not so much on the play gaming side as we are on the academic side. So we teach them programming. Um, we teach them the engineering behind it. And of course, a lot of computer science. So that's the way we incorporate gaming because there's a lot of art into gaming. There's um, a lot of animation uh, into gaming, as you know, and content is, is very important. So we 
integrate um, the academics um, side of gaming and have um, kids where they're de- either developing their own games or where they're definitely doing creative thinking and um, problem solving, as well as um, kids who are maybe on the other side doing the graphics and the animation and the computer science, um, as well as the computer science, because both of them are computer science when you develop on a game. Um, to integrate. So that's how we bring the gaming full full force uh, integrated. But I want to dig into that a little more because I have several questions here kind of about the evolution of your approach and how it's changed. But what I'm really curious to is how you have looked at gaming as a mode to get the STEM education into schools and how the prevalence of gaming from your point of view for someone who's been working in the crossover between education and tech for so long like was there a time when well there was a time when common wisdom was that you know gaming is bad and gaming doesn't teach kids anything now we're we are slowly moving to kind of the opposite pendulum of everyone games gaming super popular it's actually a really good way to teach kids things um how have how have you changed how you've integrated gaming into this, the STEM and STEAM curriculums and into the programs that you've developed? And has your approach changed over the years as you've gotten more into it and the tech has changed? Well, actually, what the, the foundation of our success with, with integrating education into gaming and actually being able to convince schools, especially schools and principals, to right. integrate a gaming program into your curriculum we deal, as I mentioned before, with a lot of schools, urban school districts that may have low performing scores in your science, math, and reading. So when you go to a school and you go from an academic standpoint, um, project-based learning and gaming is mentioned on the back end last, and they just happen to be having fun, but they're learning at the same time. And then as over the years, you're, you're able to see when it shows up in testing, um, standardized testing, our kids are doing better within the second semester. It's a very quick turnaround. Um, so the success really has spoken for itself. And no, we have not changed it because if it's not broke, why fix it? The only thing we change is as technology and software is advanced, we advance with those softwares and technology to be able to take it to the schools and teach. And as a curriculum developer, I just take the whatever standards, if it's the um, national education or state standards, whatever they're using, next generation science standards, and we integrate those standards into our curriculum and we go in and principals won't fight against that. So what I'm hearing, and you can absolutely correct me if I'm wrong, is that kind of a sneaky way of incorporating gaming is to call it project-based learning. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It, it actually is. It, it uh, well, actually it, yeah, is. it's sneaky because it's also true. Mm-hmm. It's not sneaky it, it, because it's false. Right. It's very it's true. Right. But as, as from, very true. from a principal or a parent or a community member perspective, I would imagine there's a lot less resistance to saying, hey, your kids are, are doing project-based learning than there is to, hey, your kids are creating their own game. <laughs> Absolutely. But even if you say you're cre- they're creating their own games and really, truly depend on the principal, all principals are not um, uh, probably necessarily against it. It's just that, unfortunately, our national education system doesn't incorporate it. So principals are are pressured to follow the standards and what the state is expecting them to do. And gaming is not a part of it. That does make sense. And I, I've talked to a couple different people in the education field who are constantly kind of 
getting through this struggle and, and how do we bring it into the classroom in a way Absolutely. that everyone feels comfortable. I always think back to my days playing Oregon Trail. Listen, even the 90s kids had gaming in the classroom growing up. And, and there's just been so many ways that it's, it's changed and evolved through the years. I also wanted to kind of talk about it from the student perspective. Um, many moons ago, and you've already touched on this, but we talked about how you're trying to show kids in your programs all the things behind kind of the end entertainment mm -hmm. and that goes into games. Um, and especially as we live in, in a world where so many surveys show that the number one kind of wanted job for kids out there now is, is YouTuber, or Twitch streamer, or vlogging. Mm -hmm. What and how are you kind of moving away from that and teaching them all the backend skills where they can still be involved in this industry? But from a STEM perspective, rather than from a a pure media content perspective, and how are you introducing that kind of dose of realism to mm -hmm. you might not make it as a YouTuber, but you know, what you can do is a uh, graphic design. <laughs> you know, how do you how are you yeah. incorporating that into the curriculum? Absolutely. You know, I'm authentic in everything that I do. And remember, we're going into urban school systems to where kids are living below poverty levels on free lunch. And if they don't understand anything, they understand dollars and cents. So I go in from a very real perspective because the, the really the end goal of our program is, is, is to train, is to change those demographics. Is you, you actually can be the first person in your family to change you know, your demographics, you, you don't, you know, you can, you can afford this, you can do this, you can do that. Um, talk about salaries, how much money, um, actually, the younger you are, some high schoolers uh, are being hired um, by the government um, to, to do jobs that um, a lot of seasoned or older people can't do because we haven't been, technology is it's not that old, so to speak, or been around and, and kids just gravitate toward it and know what they're doing. But the bottom line is I go to them from an economic standpoint. Um, this is how much they make. This is how much you can make. And everybody, whoa, really? Yes, you can. This is this is this is what it's paying. And even now you can do because a lot of kids do do quote unquote side hustles. You know, they, they may be girls. They may be selling candy at school. I have students that sell pencils at school. Um, even in our girls pursuing science program with our cosmetic chemistry, we have girls selling their cosmetics that they make at school. So you can actually start building websites uh, or for people or I mean, how many times something goes wrong on a computer and the teacher is always, um, come on over here, Johnny, show me how to do this because they don't know. It happens all the time. So I go to them from a very real standpoint and talk about the money and how it could change their lives. And they immediately gravitate to it. The, the economics, the money, every time has never failed. They're all in. <laughs> well, I believe that because that totally would have worked for me too. <laughs> um, and I sort of wish that I had had someone who was sitting down and telling me these things um, as someone who was previously in STEM and left it because I didn't feel comfortable and excited about it um, by the time that I left, which was super unfortunate. Um, but speaking of all the programs and, you know, motivating kids with the money, which I think is smart. Um, what has the feedback been like for students that have participated? And now that you've been in it for a long time, you know, what kind of mm -hmm. success stories have you seen or, or what yeah. has it, how has it changed over the years? Oh, absolutely. We have had, cause now we've had, we've had some success stories and we have kids now that are working for major corporations as computer scientists. 
Uh, we have a student, um, Godfrey, that I think about that's out in California now working for the city of Los Angeles, uh, actually doing a lot of the GPS mapping uh, for the city of Los Angeles. Uh, we've had kids to travel and go to Africa and set up computers for kids in underprivileged areas. Uh, we have kids that have started their own business. We have kids that are still in high school that are doing fundraisers at their football games, um, selling their products that they have actually made um, in the program. So our program is really big and we, we have a business component too, um, I must add to our curriculum to where we teach kids how to do budgets, how to sell their products, how to actually make them and sell them. So that's that's basically how we do it and what we've done. That business component is so important um, too, which is so cool. I want to back up for a second because I realized I didn't ask this at the top, but what locations do you work in? So we are in Texas. We are in, we're based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. We're in Memphis, Tennessee. We do a lot of work um, in California uh, and that's this a huge state, uh, mostly Los Angeles, mostly Southern California. Um, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, we've done some things with Park and Rec in New York City. Um, am I leaving someplace out? Florida. Okay, so pretty nationwide <laughs> is what I'm hearing. <laughs> You're in a yeah, lot of I, different areas. <laughs> yeah, and I forgot too that we have some partnerships uh, with some other organizations we're working with in South Africa and some schools that we're working with in Canada. I, totally forgot about those. Okay. So not national, but international. Absolutely. <laughs> very, very cool. Uh, super impressive for everyone who's listening. If you have a kid who's in K through 12 education and live in one of the many markets, you should definitely mm -hmm. go check out some of the programs that Jacqueline's hosting. So I kind of got into this before just with my own story. Um, but I am someone who was, like I said, was in STEM and wound up leaving. Um, just didn't, Definitely due to imposter syndrome, definitely didn't feel qualified to be there despite having the exact same qualifications as my peers. Um, why do you feel it's important to get more young women into tech and science? And how do we push past some of those mental blocks, some of those internal blocks, like the ones that I had? Well, I can answer the first part of the question easily uh, because, the, because of all the reasons you, all the things that you know about diversity, that's the first thing. Diversity works. Um, to diversify in a market is just good to get other opinions and to get other brain sources to come in and just share and make things better um, for no other reason than diversity. That, that's one thing. The second thing is, which is most important, um, and, and it's a real thing, and we as women know that women are smart. We're thinkers. We're very creative. Uh, ask any mom that will tell you the truth that have a boy and a girl. The daughter outthinks the son every single time. The, the son always gets in trouble and the daughter always gets away with everything. That's putting it on a basic elementary level. And as we grow older, you know, we're being taught society come in and with the stereotypes and the environments that we are coming up in and how we are being held back in many cases, quite honestly, we begin to feel like um, the, the, the low self-esteem or falling in love because we're emotional beings. We can just control that part, you know, and get past a lot of times um, we, we go to university and we we get married. And that kind of sometimes ends our career. Uh, or we may run in during middle school or high school to where you go in a classroom and, you know, you want to do robotics or something or gaming. And they're just all boys and you just feel for whatever reason you feel the way you do. 
The second part of your your, your question um, to how we get past those roadblocks, I think probably just for a number of reasons. I think we need to be told probably at home and just over and over and over and over again that you are worth, you are good. I mean, just keep saying and telling you that. And I guess that's my thing because that's the type of parent I was. Um, and just um, get out of your feelings, you know, about things. So just go through. I mean, you just have to persevere and go through. It's almost like a minority, you know, like I know that I'm African-American, I'm going to face some challenges. And, and I guess it's just the way my mom raised me coming up. This is, this is the way it is. This is life. This is it. And, and deal with it. A lot of parents can't say that or do that. So on the second part, I really don't know how to answer that question other than from a personal standpoint. And I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist. So that's probably some other ways to get beyond it or they can give you some academic approach but as I mentioned I'm very authentic and I just that, that's just the way my mom raised me I mean you're black you're a female and this is what it is I grew up in Mississippi so you know this is what it is this is what it's going to be um push forward and I did so I don't know I don't know what else to tell you I'm no I think that's a good answer part of the reason why I ask these tough questions to people who aren't psychologists or psychiatrists <laughs> is because I think everyone has a valuable perspective to give on these kinds of things um, and being who you are and where you came from and how you were raised. I'm sure someone else can connect with that as well. Um, so psychologists or psychiatrists aside, <laughs> but going back to this kind of uh, to diversity and one of the reasons why it's great. Um, in a previous interview for the story exchange, which I will link in the show notes, you talked about how women tend to make purchasing decisions. And this was something that stuck out to me and how you were you were catering to women because, you know, they're the ones who control the purse strings um, here, especially in the U.S. And one of the issues I have specifically with women in the gaming industry is that I feel as if the industry, which according to recent developer statistics, is 70 percent male and 70 percent white, mm -hmm. <laughs> overlooks women so much and we are the ones spending money like mm -hmm. all of those instagram ads we are buying the stuff like, <laughs> put, put women into games we will buy the skins we'll buy the things make gaming stuff for women so i i want to hear more about you know you've worked with girls now for a long time you've done a lot mm -hmm. of education but why do you feel that tech at large, because it's not just gaming, mm -hmm. continues to kind of have this diversity issue for women from all the way from product development, not creating things for women, to not hiring women, to not thinking of women as, hey, this is actually the audience we should be catering to because they're the ones spending money. Like from what you know and from what you've seen, what where do you think that this problem comes from and why does it continue to persist despite us being the ones that spend the money? Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, um, I think it all begins, and, and I work with a lot of children, and, and I, so I always have to go back to childhood. I think men, it's just historically, even historically in this country, uh, worldwide, really, if you want to do some low-line statistics, it's always with the women. Women, I mean, you know, women, you know, all the, the, the failure things. So I think that it's, it's historically, it's just the way men are raised and the way boys are raised. And even some of us as moms, we are guilty of that. Um, the way we raise boys and how we are shaping their mentality to think. And that carries over into adulthood. I've even seen with girls, while we act the way we do, all you have to do is visit a fifth grade classroom, 
how sometimes catty girls are. And then when you get in, in college in your 20s and then, you know, you have all this adversarial things going on, it, it, it starts early on. So I'm just thinking to it's just I don't know. But the only thing that I can contribute that to is that men, boys are raised differently. They're raised to think differently and they're raised to, you know, take care of your little sister or son. If something happened to me, you need to take care of your mom. We always seen as we need to be taken care of um, uh, or grow up and, you know, get you a pretty girl or and girls are raised different. We tell girls different things. A boy can go out, you know, a boy can go out and have sex with girls and have many as he wants, just don't get her pregnant. But if a girl does, she's given a different name. So we have different standards and that's from a sexual standpoint. But it's a lot of little things that happen along the way that the way boys are being raised and being taught to look at women, uh, to take care of the home, to stay at home, to, and it carries over into the boardroom, unfortunately, I believe. I, I, I don't think it's hard to separate those two and you just look at women differently. I don't care how smart they are. And it's always the wife um, that's, that's that's responsible for a husband really being where he is, you know, standing home, raising the kids, putting them through college. And he's just going on and looking good. But it's really the brainchild is really at home. You know, the wife, you know, so in many cases. But I believe I just believe it starts with childhood and the, what we're telling our sons and moms have to really be careful about that, even with the toys and the programs that we put boys in and girls in and what we're telling our boys and what we're telling our girls, because one day we grow up. How are you with Girls Pursuing Science? Like, how are you making it kind of a central mission to fight those stereotypes or to ensure that girls go on to actually get careers in tech and in science? So what we do is, of course, we, we talk about the money part and we get them engaged and they really love it. You know what they're doing, because girls are naturally creative. And if they're on the artsy side, they're doing animation, their drawings, and then they're animating them. So they're doing what they love to do naturally. It's not a force. It's not anything we intend to go say, hey, there's a program and you're going to go on to college. They actually want to. It's almost an eight. So um, we, we take kids and we meet them where they are. We have some that are not very creative at all. They may be on the game inside where they want to actually play games. They may not even want to do computer science. So we're opening to meeting a girl where she is. And it's just as they go on, they go on to to pursue things that they naturally love to do. And that's basically what we focus on in getting girls to move on. There's no pre-college program or intent to say, hey, go to college, do this. It's just something really that just happens, honestly. Yeah, and I think that's important, like pursuing what's already there. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I, again, as someone who didn't necessarily have that opportunity and wound up leaving tech as a result, um, I definitely think that that's part of one of the ways that we can get more students into, into science and tech, um, based on your experiences in education, are there any sort of obvious, no nonsense things that we can start doing to, I'm sorry, I'm trying to formulate this question better, but is there any is there any not no nonsense or like easy kind of things that school districts could do if they had if they if the bureaucratic tape was gone and in a perfect world, if they woke up tomorrow and it was like, hey, this is a fix that's very low or no cost. 
uh, this helps students, encourages students in the STEM and STEAM um, categories to get out there and do stuff. And it's super easy for teachers. Like, is there any kind of solutions that you see where it's like, why haven't we done this yet? This is a total no brainer. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, believe it or not, school is government and, and it's politics. So a lot of times it's just the leadership. You know, it's just a matter of bringing those programs into your school. They have the budgets to do it. Take your selfishness out of it. Even if you're a person, if you're a principal that happened to be one that, oh, I don't want gaming in my schools based on your limited knowledge that you know about gaming. And a lot of that is because there's a lot of violence in gaming. And that's that's all they know. That's all they know. So if you can remove yourself for a moment and look at the broad picture and research and see, oh, why is school A over there? Now they have this program, they're doing that. But many times principals or leaders, politicians, they're just human and uh, let their own selfishness get in the way because there's no reason, there's no reason to why that these programs cannot be incorporated in any school in America. That's one of the things that we have in this country that, 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 we, are, that we are granted and that's education and it's paid for by the taxpayers. So you can incorporate these programs and, and schools get money, uh, principals get extra money to do enrichment programs. If they're not offering it in their curriculum, there are so many programs around the country in every city that you can have consultants to come in and implement these programs into your school to engage your children. And kids absolutely love it. You're not going to get any kickback from the kids with technology. You, you're just not, <laughs> you know, so if, if, you know, if if the leadership would just do their jobs um, or just, well, not their jobs, I don't want to say that, but if they just um, just implement the programs, research, see what's working. Uh, this school over there, doing, hey, let me, do, I don't know anything about robotics, but let me find someone who does. It's okay not to know. Have you encountered, as time has gone on, any general trends of more or less resistance in schools to putting in programs focused on technology and gaming? I know the answer I'm hoping for, and I know you said every principle is different, but if we zoom out from kind of individual mm -hmm. and think about where you were 10 years ago and saying like, mm -hmm. get an engineering program in versus where you are today and get an engineering program in, has there been any uptick in adoption? Um, years ago, it, it, it is really without program, honestly, we do no marketing. Schools call on us. So I haven't seen any really real resistance. It's really stuff that I hear about. Or I mean, no, we don't call on schools. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I, I don't. Uh, even with our nonprofit program, uh, we don't apply for grants. Foundations call us. They seek us out. Uh, the Steve Harvey Foundation, um, Allstate Foundation, all these people have called us and, and they've donated and, and, and given us money. So mm -hmm. we honestly just, have not done even from our inception in 2002 it we was what we were doing was so different we've been written up in so many major papers from the local newspaper to the new york post i mean people just follow us and just intrigued about the difference that we are making in kids lives and what we're doing honestly well that's good and uh, have you well Given the expansion that you've had throughout the years, I'm hoping that that means that more and more people are calling you <laughs> to get these programs. They are. Uh, they are. They are. Uh, actually, you know, just for different schools. And that's how we have expanded internationally um, and uh, across the country. Um, the state of New York called us. 
And a lot of times it's through Googling or word of mouth. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's working. Um, I want to pivot kind of completely for a second, because when I was doing research for this episode, one of the things that popped up was that you were part of a program or created a program um, at my alma mater, Carnegie Mellon, which I saw that on there and I was like, yay, that's my school. <laughs> yeah, made me so, so happy. Um, I, I actually was a student there when that program was running. So that's kind of crazy to think about. I was, yeah, I wonder if I ever walked by, you know, when they were <laughs> doing stuff. Um, I don't want to necessarily talk about this program specifically, but we have talked a lot about kind of K through 12 education and what it's like being in the classroom and the students you've worked with. What are your thoughts on how higher ed, on how um, universities can engage with their communities and engage with the K-12 audience and share resources that are there uh, to promote some of the things that you are, that you promote with, with different programs that you have? Well, the thing about Carnegie Mellon and what they do is, which I thought was great, they actually partner with with um, K through 12, not K through 12, but probably middle school, high school teachers, um, education, um, school districts to train um, teachers. That's the biggest thing. Teachers just not trained and don't know. So if um, they could do the training, the professional development for the educators, uh, I think they'll make all the difference in the world. If universities can reach out and do more of that in their communities. And quite honestly, I don't know many that do. And I, and I was just thinking, I think a few years ago, it, it would just be to me an investment um, because those juniors and seniors are looking to go to school somewhere. You know, when teachers are going back, sharing that information about the school to where they got the professional development from, or as those partnerships grow, people from the university coming into the schools, it's just to me, it's almost like it's a no brainer. That's so cool. I didn't think about that as kind of a joint pipeline of getting, you know, better, better preparation for educators in schools while also having the university have a pipeline of students who are interested in, in programs. Um, it's a really cool kind of idea uh, to make both sides win there. Um, I want my last question is definitely more of a fun one and not really related to tech and gaming at all. Um, but I <laughs> saw that you recently appeared on the Fox reality television show. I can see your voice. So yes. I would love to hear about what, how that was, what that was about and where people can watch it. Yeah. So it's, 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 um, it's on Hulu now, uh, streaming on Hulu. And of course I was in the second season, the second episode. And it was so much fun because I had the opportunity actually to raise money for Girls Pursuing Science. That's actually what we did with the money. Uh, invested in our Girls Pursuing Science program. And we've raised so much money since then for people that have seen the show. Because I did go at the end, as you know how it ends, um, for the 400000 I just didn't want to take that chance and take that risk. Although I figured at the end that that guy really could sing. I just could not take that risk. I could not leave that much money on the table. But it was so much fun. And it has given the biggest thing for me, though, it has given so much exposure to the program. And Fox was really good about allowing us to talk about the program, what we do, show pictures. And it has driven so much traffic to the website. And people just have given everything from five or six dollars to $50 donations. And it has really been a good win-win situation. I had a lot of fun. I had the opportunity to expose and talk about what we do in the program. And in the end, uh, families win. 
That's so cool. I didn't, I didn't, full disclosure, I didn't have time to actually watch the episode. I just saw it pop up last night. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to ask her about this. It's really neat that they were able to um, allow you to talk about girls pursuing science so much. What was, or what kind of reactions or feedback were you able to get from that appearance? I'm, I'm wondering kind of what the, what a reality or what a television show boost looks like. Um, your social yeah, channel blowing well, up or were people reaching out for programming or what yeah, happened? People were, well, actually people were reaching out to donate money because I guess it was, that's what the program was that's about. way like, better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to say that in case there wasn't yeah, that, but I was hoping that's, that's what, what you were going was. to say. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. People were reaching out to see, Hey, how can we help? Or thanking me and saying how important it is to get girls involved in, in STEM and STEAM. And they, I'm, you know, sharing stories about I have a daughter and I've had a few to trickle in. I have people to ask me questions like, how can I get my daughter engaged? She loves science. She's six, she's seven, she's five. You hear that a lot. And she just absolutely loves working with her hands. So I get those questions. I get the referral questions. But more so than anything, we've had people to just want to donate money, want to be a part and want to help because they know the importance of engaging girls early. That's so wonderful. Uh, before we get into our last little segment, um, which you are just being an incredible guest and we are just moving Thank through you. all my questions. And this has been so fun and informative. I want to do a quick summary of the things that we have talked about so far. Um, we talked a lot about the programs that you've helped to develop and how they are enrichment classes and enrichment camps to fill in gaps in public and private education. Gaming has been a way to implement project-based learning from programming and graphic arts to other math and science-based practices. You also teach a business component of, and have basic budgeting and finance. So if students who go through these programs don't go to work for tech companies, they have the tools to create their own companies as well, which you have mentioned that there's been a healthy mix of both um, in the students that have gone through the various programs that you have. Um, in order to get kids kind of excited about these and to not just want to be YouTubers, one of the things you suggested was uh, you're trying to change their perspective and show show the kids the money, show them the real power behind these positions, the real power behind STEM careers. Um, and that is a really big motivator to get kids into the field. We talked a lot about the differences between and the different standards for men and women, um, which can contribute to why companies, products, et cetera, don't cater to women putting girls into more science and tech programs that foster skills and interests that are already there helps them helps to give them the tools to actually continue on and go into those fields and actually make a change um, in the way that things are done. And then we ended with kind of a discussion on higher ed. And one thing that higher ed could do right now tomorrow is to put in professional development programs for teachers in the local community. Not only are you helping educators and getting more STEM into classrooms, you are kind of providing a pipeline for that university to then actually have students who are interested in those programs coming into the university. So it's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. Um, and so I thought that was really smart to really smart idea. And then also everyone should totally go check out season two, episode two of I Can See Your Voice to see Jacqueline on there. Um, and what she did. So our last segment, and this is something that I like to do on every show, um, because I think it's a good chance to kind of look back, see where you're at in your career. We already kind of did this, but I'm going to ask you again, because this is going to be more you specific as in you, Dr. Jacqueline Thomas. What is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into gaming, getting into tech, getting into ed, 
getting into all these industries and being successful? What I would like to tell my younger self um, is just get into it and do it. Um, get involved. You know, it's, it's kind of hard because of my younger self, <laughs> honestly, I was involved with everything. I started my first girls club when I was fifth grade. And yes, they did pay dues. So we sold candy. That's amazing. So, my mom sent us to private school. So we went to private school. And of course, when I got to high school, we went to a public high school. And I was always involved with the old bound programs, whatever the limited with this Mississippi small town education that I have, whatever extracurricular activities that they had. I was always into it. I played basketball. I was on the basketball team. I was on the softball team. I swimmed every summer, every day um, through the summer. So I've always been actively and engaged and involved in what I would tell other girls to do the same. They have programs at your school. Go get involved, get active. Um, just participate in those programs. Find something you like. Find something that you like to do. And if they don't have anything, now we live in a totally different world. You can go take those classes online to get involved in it. Just see, and if you don't like that, you can drop those and go to another YouTube. It's just that simple. <laughs> but take the first step, uh, get involved and just get involved in those programs and have fun. I mean, you're young, you're fifth grade, you're third grade or whatever. Have fun with it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So go, go find some, some things that you're passionate about, excited about and run with it. That's exactly. what I'm hearing. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you, follow you, follow your work, donate to Girls Pursuing Science, all that Absolutely. good stuff. Absolutely. GirlsPursuingScience.com. Very simple. And we have all of our social media links uh, on our website, GirlsPursuingScience.com. Okay. And if people want to find you and your thoughts, is there any place where you share those regularly? Basically, I don't have any personal other than on my Facebook page, but I don't share a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm mostly working through Girls Pursuing Science that gotcha. occupies so much of my time or kidsandtechnology.net. So I'm, I'm either on our 501c3 nonprofit uh, working with, with boys and girls or I'm on girlspursuingscience.com working with girls, trying to empower girls. So my whole life is kids in, in education and STEM education. So well, I'm posting everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm posting everything through our business um, pages. That's perfect. Well, for all the listeners out there, be sure to leave the five-star ratings and reviews or send me really nice notes. If you're going to send me a need note. Don't send it. Be sure to check <laughs> out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business and Business of Esports. I am on social media, but also do not use it frequently at all. But you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Poss. Or you can catch me live Wednesday nights on the Business of Esports After Show. This podcast is in your feed every week, every Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.